And you would think that it would be one-sided in favor of the giant, but it only took one stone. He had five. I don't, was that showing a lack of faith? <laughs> but uh, it only took one to take that giant out. But that conflict in many ways is like the conflict we have uh, in our lives with Satan. Uh, we, we read about the challenger, that nine and a half foot giant named Goliath. He wanted to intimidate the, the Israelites and create doubt in their minds. And much like Satan does uh, today with us, he wants to intimidate us. He wants to shut us down. He wants to make us quiet. But uh, we have a God that's bigger than that. And then we learned a little more about David and uh, found out how he was such a young and inexperienced uh, in battle, uh, and yet he took up that challenge. Uh, he was incensed that the army of Israel would shake and be afraid to stand up for God. And we discussed how we should not let our age or experience keep us from obeying God's will. And indeed, we need to trust in God and not hide in fear. We, we have nothing to be afraid of in this culture and in this world. You know that? We have a God that's bigger than it all. And it might seem like the odds are stacked against us, but we have a God that's bigger than those odds. And last week we realized that all David did was use what God had given him. That was enough. And God has given us the resources that we need. Uh, we use those resources that God has given us in a faithful way, and God will bring the victory. And I don't know about you, but I feel like God has brought many victories in my life, and I'm so appreciative and so thankful, and that's why we come to worship, isn't it? Are we here to worship the God who has given us all these victories? If you're not here for that reason, I don't know what you're here for. And this week, we, we want to think about how we respond to the victories. I, I'm utterly amazed at how celebrations can go wrong. And I, I saw this little video clip for when the Lakers won a, a NBA championship. I just want you to watch this little video clip with me because it truly is amazing at how people respond to victory. Let's watch that together. Burned violent in downtown LA. Businesses were damaged and dozens during the chaos. It's been a long day of cleanup in the aftermath of the uh, destructive celebration. That's right. CBS 2's Lori Perez has a look at the damage left behind near Staples Center. Like, what the? I mean, go, go vandalize your own neighborhood. Downtown residents are not happy to find their neighborhoods tagged and torn apart after victory turned to vandalism following the Lakers winning the NBA title Sunday night. After a summer of protests, cleanup crews have become experts at damage control and locals are trying to roll with it again. In all sports, uh, whenever there's a championship, 
unfortunately, they celebrate by destroying. Parts of downtown LA look less like a championship city and more like a war zone after crowds of fans tore through block after block around Staples Center, leaving behind a trail of graffiti and boarded up storefronts. More than 30 downtown businesses were damaged. There wasn't even supposed to be a gathering. Because of the pandemic, public health officials and Staples Center managers had urged fans to celebrate at home. But for some, it was a moment that just had to be shared. Super cool sight to see the city go up in fireworks and it was a really cool experience. The problem is after a string of those fireworks, dangerous donuts on the street and even a small fire started on an MTA bus, the celebration turned to confrontation as LAPD asked fans to disperse. We were there as some started throwing cans and glass bottles at officers and officers responded by shooting foam projectiles at the crowd. LAPD says eight officers were hurt along with three fans. Police arrested at least 76 people. Tonight, some are hoping more positive parts of the night linger beyond the troubling images. This is Los Angeles. We pick up after ourselves and we got to do what we got to do. The celebration continues today peacefully with people stopping by Staples Center to take pictures. At this time, there are no plans for a parade or public celebration, again, because of the pandemic. At Staples Center, I'm Lori Perez, CBS 2 News. Isn't that sort of crazy? Why in the world would people react violently and destructively when they win? I can understand if you lose when you do something like that, but, and that would be bad enough. But I, I think one of the guys in the interview was right. Too much alcohol make people do some dumb things. It was never made sense to me why people would destroy things when their team won. I don't know about you, but victory should be a celebration of joy. And Yet, they're, 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 there's going to be shouting, there's going to be jumping and cheering, and, but acting silly, uh, yeah, yeah, we can act silly, but that's excitement spilling over, but not being destructive. It's never made sense to me why people would respond that way. Now, there, there's certainly a right way and a wrong way to celebrate. And in a spiritual sense, I would say there's a right way and a wrong way for us to celebrate too. Of course, spiritually speaking, our wins may look a little different than they do in earthly terms. David, of course, had an unbelievable earthly victory. He killed the giant Goliath. But it was also a spiritual victory over an ungodly enemy who had defied God. The challenger was definitely the favorite in the battle. God chose David, a, a simple shepherd boy, to fight against this giant. This battle required a focus solely on God. And finally, today, we get to celebrate a victory. I, I think it's important to celebrate our victories even more, and we need to celebrate God. And again, that's why we come to worship. We come together to worship and be reminded of the victories we have in Christ. God has provided all we need, and the one, uh, one of the things He's given us are the memories and the testimony of His provision and His goodness. And as we remember Him, we honor and glorify Him in each and every victory. As we were singing some of those songs, I'm thinking about the victories that God has brought my way. And it just makes me want to worship Him even more. 
So today I want us to learn from the end of the David and Goliath story. What, what happened right after that uh, he, he killed the, the giant? When the victory happened, when all was said and done, what was the response? And I'm not just talking about the response of David and the Israelites, but also of the enemy. So let's jump in. The, the big idea for today is this. When victory comes, the enemy runs and God deserves the glory. And I think that's what we find as we go through our life. With God's help, David was able to experience victory over the giant in his path, and his enemy was defeated. But what does it look like to respond well to victory? Who gets the glory for it? And through the conclusion of the story, we once again see David's posture on display. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, uh, please help us to find victory in our lives through Jesus. We know that victory is dependent upon you and that you will deliver us in your good timing. Give us the strength to persevere through the process. And even when things are difficult and even when things are hard, we can say, as Paul would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We give you all the glory and honor for every victory we experience in life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now look, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to be picking up in verse 40 of that text. And we read, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and went with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bare in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, and he saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered around here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. 
And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. And their dead were strewn along the Sharahim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Whew, man, that was some crazy kind of thing going on. But really, it wasn't much of a fight between David and Goliath, was it? One, one stone and it was done. But that's because God was with him. Now here's the first thing I want us to recognize about this story and what happens after victory. Victory sends the enemy running. You know, you know, much of our discussion so far has been about the Israelite army and the response that they had. But what about the opposing force? Verse 51 gives us a glimpse into that immediate response of the Philistines. They turned and they ran. Why? I mean, they were still a pretty, you know, strong force. They probably had better weapons than the Israelites did. But they had put all of their hope in their champion, Goliath. And now he was dead, and their hope was lost. You see, they pinned all of their hope of victory on him. If he won, they wouldn't have to fight. And they were certain of victory. I mean, who's going to beat Goliath? And so when he was defeated, they were stunned. And the truth is, if we put our hope and trust in a person, or in a government, or something that might seem so big and awesome that we're putting our hope in it, a job, how much money we make, all those things. If our hope is in that and not in Jesus Christ, friends, eventually we're going to be let down. Maybe for you, it is a political leader of some kind that you put hope in. Or for others, maybe it's their job. Maybe co-workers that they've trusted. Maybe even someone in our family. Having trust in people is not a bad thing. However, if those people take God's place in our life, if we trust them or we trust that situation or we trust our own ability more than we trust God, we're going to be let down. And it is similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Philistines seem to store up their treasures in this human champion, Goliath. And when he was defeated, they were completely lost. Now, friends, the good news is this. We have a God who is not only personal, but he is constant. He is with us. He never changes. He doesn't leave us out to dry. Many of us may need to be reminded of Paul's words in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who what? Love him. Those who what? Love him. 
who have been called according to His purpose. If you love God, He's got your back. We may experience seasons where we simply don't know where God is. And I'm here to let you know from personal experience that God is still working even when we don't see it, even when we don't recognize it. And He's working for our good and also for His glory. I've seen God's faithfulness over and over again. In fact, let me see a show of hands. How many of you have seen God's faithfulness? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Let us know. You've seen it. That's why you're here. That's why you believe. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in many of your families. I've heard the stories of victories being snatched from intimate defeat. Years ago, my friend Dr. Ajay Law was traveling to a city to do this outdoor evangelistic meeting. He had been invited by a pastor in that city to come and preach about Jesus. Now, the pastor had gone all over town, and he put up posters with Ajay's face on it and inviting everybody to come to this meeting. They were going to have it outside under a tent, and everybody in town was invited. Now, Ajay was not aware that this city was a central hub of Hindu extremism. So Hindus can read too. The extremists can read too. They can see those posters with Ajay's face on it. So when they arrived at the city, the chief of police had them brought to the police station. And he told Ajay and the pastor that he was not going to allow Ajay to preach. He just knew a riot was going to get started and it would create big trouble. Now the pastor argued that they had the constitutional right to get out there and preach what they believe about Jesus. And he demanded that the police chief allow the event to go on. And so the police chief said, well, we can do this under one circumstance. He said he was going to post officers in front of that stage with weapons. When Ajay's up there preaching, if he sees that a riot is stirring from the Hindu extremists who would be surrounding this thing, he was going to give his officers the right to shoot Ajay on the spot. And the pastor said, we'll do it. <laughs> and Ajay looked at him and said, I'm the one that's going to be shot. <laughs> and Ajay said, I, I need to call home. So Ajay called home. He talked to his kids. His kids said, please, Daddy, don't do it. Please, Daddy, don't do it. Then he talked to Indu. She said, is the insurance paid up? No, she didn't. <laughs> she, she didn't say that. Christy would say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Indu said, you know, uh, when we began this ministry, we committed to God to preach the gospel, even if it meant we would die in doing it. And she said, we must be faithful. And she and the entire CICM team began praying for Ajay to preach the message boldly for God to open doors. Now, it didn't look good when it started because, you know, here, here are the Christians gathered and people that are seeking. They were gathered under this tent to hear Ajay. But outside of that area, 
surrounded by thousands of Hindu extremists. They were carrying their banners, which were condemning the event. But when Ajay got up to preach, he, he didn't preach against the Hindu gods. He, he didn't do that. He simply preached about Jesus. He told them who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God who came to die for their sins. No riot occurred. And the chief of police was stunned. Not only that there wasn't a riot, but he was stunned at the teaching about Jesus. You see, he had never heard who Jesus really was. He had heard the name of Jesus, but he didn't know who this man Jesus was. And he went to Ajay after the meeting, and he said, I, I've never heard these things. This is amazing. And he said, I know of another village right down the road that needs to hear about Jesus too. And he said, I'm going to give you a police escort to get you down there so you can preach about Jesus there. And it, so while it, it seemed like there was going to be this defeat it turned into a great victory. God came through in a big way. Ajay was willing to die preaching, but he didn't have to on that day. God was faithful, and the enemy did not have a victory on that day. In fact, the victory belonged to God as thousands of people would come to know Christ as a result. You know, in James 4, 7, we read, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He will flee from you. Victory on a personal level is when we resist the devil. That's victory for us. And when we say no to temptations that we are facing, it doesn't mean that he won't try again, but God always gives us a way out. True victory, the kind ultimately won by God in our lives, should not send you and me running, but the enemy running. And that's exactly what happens in David's case in our story. He understood when the enemy goes running, God deserves the glory. And that brings us to our second thought today. Victory should result in glory to God. Now we must remember that it's not about us. In fact, it's, it's all about God. And I hope you agree with me on this. It's not about me. It's about God. That was certainly true for David and, and my friend Ajay, but it's absolutely true for you and me as well. We go back to verse 52 of our text. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shirahim road to Gath and Ekron. You know, as we already noted a few different times within this series, when, when God gives the victory, He deserves the glory. Too often we want to steal the glory from God. Look what I did. Look, look, look how strong I was. Our egos tell us that we are the difference makers. We think we're the ones who brought about the victory, not God. And we seek the glory for ourselves. If the devil can't stop God from winning the victory in your life, he'll at least try to distract you from praising God for it. 
And this, once again, is why our focus is so important. The Hebrew word used in verse 52 for, you know, they, they gave a great shout is an interesting one. It's a battle term speaking about both physical and spiritual battles we face. It's mentioned elsewhere by David in Psalm 108 uh, when we read, who, who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God? You have rejected us, or you who have rejected us, and no longer go out with our armies. Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. Here, David was asking the question, who will give us the victory? Will we have victory because we're so strong, because we're so smart, because, you know, we've got all this and all that? No, it is with God's help that we will do mighty things. Do you believe this to be true today? Even today, not just David's day, but even today. You know, you, you worship the same God David did. The same God that directed David in that battle against that Goliath is the God who is your God today. And I think we're sometimes guilty of trying to fight our own battles with our own strength rather than trusting in God who's so much greater than we are. We take God out of the equation for a few moments thinking we can do it on our own. David understood where his help came from. Psalm 121, David would write, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen? Amen. Because his help and strength came from the Lord. That is who he and the Israelite army decided to give credit to. Victories won by God deserve all praise be given to God. Are you giving praise to God for the victories in your life? I think sometimes the problem is that too many of us see the glass as half empty and we don't recognize all the victories that God has achieved in our life. Are you just focusing on all that isn't right and all the things that aren't going the way you want them to go? Can you refocus and think about all the things that are going right? You may be focusing too much on some losses to see the victories. You may be focusing too much on broken relationships and you don't see the good relationships in your life. You may be focusing too much on, again, all that is wrong and not on what is right. And a lot of this depends on where you're focusing. As David said in the psalm, lift up your eyes and see where your help comes from, friends, and give him the glory he deserves. And this is one reason why our worship and our daily quiet time is so important. God deserves my praise. He deserves the time I commit to him. What about you? Do you feel the same way? Don't you think God deserves to have you come to Him every single day? You know, worship isn't just on a Sunday. It's every single day. When we get up in the morning, we praise God 
for a new day. And we go to bed at night and we praise God for the day that we've had. I know you can think about victories. Finally today, friends, as we conclude this wonderful story, I, I think there's one more piece of post-victory behavior we want to discuss, and we find it in verse 53. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. I want to say victory requires us to finish the job. We often skip over that last action step taken by the Israelites towards the camp of the Philistines, but that was a necessary thing to complete the victory. Everything the Philistines had brought, their weapons, their, 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 all the plunder that was there to be taken back for the Israelites to use. Karen Hardin's a historian who noted that historically, whenever there has been a time of transition, there's been an opportunity and anointing to take the plunder. Plunder is that which has been stolen and which someone else now holds. It is actually a provision to pay for the transition. Now, this season in Israelite history was clearly one of transition. You remember in the chapter before, we read that David had actually been anointed as the future king of Israel. Sometime when he was a young man, maybe between 10 to 15 years old, is what most theologians think. And mind you, now Saul was not aware that he had been anointed to be the next king. In addition, this battle, one that included David leading the charge, would serve as a turning point. But nonetheless, here's what we have to see from this part of the story. The Israelites did not stop short. They finished the job. They plundered the camp. They overtook their enemy. And often we'll ask God for freedom from a certain situation in life. And then not even step into it when it comes. I mean, this scene from our story essentially serves as a, a, a bow on top of the gift, right? Of the Israelites stand off with the Philistine army. God opened the opportunity for the Israelites to move into the season of transition, but they first had to finish the job in front of them. And Paul encouraged the Philippians not to be satisfied, but to continue to finish what they had begun or what had been begun in them. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So in essence, Paul was encouraging us to not stop moving towards our salvation. And that text reminds us that we keep on working out that salvation until the final salvation comes. We don't quit in the middle of the battle and think we've won. Just because the enemy has run doesn't mean the battle's over. We don't quit until the enemy camp is plundered. In our lives, we cannot afford to stop short 
either. It's easy to get things mostly done or almost finished. But I want you just to think about this for a moment. What if Jesus had stopped short? What if Jesus said, said uh, Father, sorry, but the cross is, is just a little too painful. I mean, I, I know you said it would bring freedom for all people, but I think I'm going to stop right here. I've done a lot of good things. I've healed people. I've, I've shared your word with people. They've seen miracles done. And, you know, I think I'm just going to leave it almost done. What if that had been what Jesus had done? If that had been Jesus' attitude, I don't think we'd be here today. But thankfully, Jesus did complete his mission. And with full confidence, he was able to say, as he hung on that cross, it is finished. He did it. My friend Ajay also didn't quit. He took that police chief up on his offer. And they went to that other village. And when they went and they preached there in that other village, they discovered an entire people group that had never heard the gospel before. They didn't have a Bible in their language. They, and so CICM set about the task of translating the Bible in this new language for these people. And because of that effort, they reached thousands and thousands more people for Jesus. What if, what if at first, first of all, Isaiah had said, no, it's too dangerous, I'm not going to preach. Well, the, the people that came to Jesus that day would never have probably come to him. What if, what if Isaiah had said, you know what, I'm good with one victory. <laughs> we had a great day today. I don't think I'm going to put myself in this spot anymore. Uh, there, there wasn't a riot today. The police didn't shoot me. I got out of that. People came to Jesus. Why push it anymore? But you see, one victory led to another victory. And I know until his last breath, my friend Ajay will continue to tell people about Jesus to the glory of God. As our series comes to a close, I want to just take a moment to sort of refresh our minds about some of the main points from our previous weeks. In week one, we learned about the challenger David was facing, this giant Goliath, who in many ways resembles what the devil is doing in our lives even now. And we can better understand Satan's efforts to intimidate us, to cause us to be afraid, to create doubt in our minds about our God. When we see that happening in our culture today, and if you're a Christian, you need to understand the world doesn't love you. Jesus loves you. But the world will hate you if you speak his name. In week two, we looked at David, the man after God's own heart, who in all things gave God the glory for his life. And throughout the story of David and Goliath, we, we see how David was completely dependent on God. And he, he was filled with faith. 
He, he knew God would deliver him through each and every circumstance. And I hope that you know that. God is with you. And he will get you through whatever you're going through. And last week we saw how David had all he needed to be victorious in that battle against Goliath. We only needed one stone, really. And this week, we looked at this victory that David won and the different responses to that victory. Friends, David's response or dependence upon God would continue throughout his life with, with a few exceptions, of course. He wasn't perfect. But was this the secret behind his success as the future king of Israel? Could David have accomplished all that he did without God? I want to just reread a portion of that passage from what David had to say to the Philistine. And I want you to internalize it. I want you to think about this and whatever battle you're going through, whatever fight you're up against, whatever giant is facing you down, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's. And he will help us to have victory. No matter what the instruments uh, that the enemy has, no matter how big the giant is that we're facing, God is bigger than that. And the story of David and others throughout Scripture are stories of God using improbable people to accomplish extraordinary things. And you know, he does this so that we will give him the glory. The reason God gives us victory is so that all people will know that he is the God of heaven. I want to finish with Philippians chapter 2, looking at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Remember that on the way to the restaurant after church, okay? Do everything without grumbling or complaining. And try to share that with your kids. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Did you notice that the purpose of living a godly life without complaint and arguing is so that we'll be noticed, that we'll shine like stars in a warped and crooked generation when we live for God, it is going to be evident. It is going to be like a bright light shining through the darkness. People around us will take notice. Not all of them will like it. But some of them, maybe a door will be opened for them to experience the victory with us. And just like David was able to bring victory to all Israel, by setting that example, maybe you can bring some victory for a family member, a neighbor, 
a coworker, maybe a classmate. Where do you need to experience victory in your life? In what areas are you trying to manufacture the victory on your own? When was the last time you asked the Lord to deliver you in whatever battle you're facing? Remember, there will always be another Goliath in your life. Remember what God has already done and all that He has already given you. And remember who you are and who your God is. Father, we come to you today so thankful and grateful for the victories that you have brought in our life. And we know, Father, that without you, it wouldn't be possible. But because of you, all things are possible. I pray, Father, that each and every one of us here today will consider the victory that you have in store for us, even when we're facing a giant that doesn't seem possible that we can beat it. But Lord, we can beat it through your power and through your grace. And I pray, God, that we would just worship you with humble hearts, recognizing that without you, all these victories that we've had in life, they mean nothing. And Lord, if there's somebody here today that needs special prayer, that needs encouragement, that needs whatever it is that they came, that need is, I pray, God, that you will meet that need. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.